Welcome to the 85th episode of the No Degree Podcast. Brian Will was ranked 82 out of 85 in his high school. Funny enough, he wrote the book, I Give the Dumb Kids Hope, Starting Life at Zero. And this wasn't even the only book he wrote. He has been involved in four startups and has an amazing 35-year career. He also owns a chain of restaurants. He didn't realize it at the time, but when he was younger, he had ADHD. He was fired from jobs, but that didn't stop him from becoming a dropout millionaire. Brian always worked hard and learned from those around him, and he's still doing a lot of good in the world. Listen to learn the rest of his journey. Visit nodegree.com to start your journey. Subscribe to our YouTube channel. Every sub is appreciated. This show wouldn't be possible without you. Let's get this show started. Welcome to another episode of the No Degree Podcast. Today, I have an accomplished author and CEO, Brian Will. Do you mind giving a brief introduction of yourself? Yeah, uh, Brian Will, you got my name down. I've uh, been in the uh, self-employed, I guess we'll call it a business owner for about 35 years now. Uh, run through four different industries. I've done four startups, sold into private equity, I've sold into venture capital, currently own a chain of restaurants. Um, traveled the world, done some really cool stuff, got kicked out of high school when I was 17 years old, got back in, didn't go to college. As I like to say, where you are today has no bearing on what your future holds. It's all up to you. I love that perspective. So we got to start off. What, how'd you get kicked out of high school? What'd you do? Well, I didn't show up the first or 42 out of the first 90 days. Skipped my midterms. And the funny story is there was a girl in high school that had a crush on me and her mom was a school secretary. So her mom covered for me. Oh, okay. Very small school, farm town, Ohio. When they finally figured out that I'd missed all those days, they called me in and told me that I was expelled. And I think that was the first time I ever sold anything and I had to sell myself. So I I made a deal with the principal, super nice guy. And I said, Hey, if you'll let me retake all the midterms, I'll get a B and you'll give me a D. If I get less than a B, you can kick me out of school when I'm gone. He said, I got nothing to lose, Brian. I'll make you that deal, but you have to pass them on three days. Three days later, I passed all my midterms. He let me back in school. He said, you're never allowed to miss another day. And I ended up graduating 82 out of 85 with a 1.2 grade point average. Wow. So, I mean, that wasn't an accurate reflection of you because to pass all your midterms in three days is no joke, right? At one point, they actually sent me to get tested because I was doing so bad. Yeah. And they came back and said, you have 135 IQ. But what we didn't know back then was I was seriously ADHD. Oh, okay, okay. Very hard time focusing on details, which has served me well, believe it or not, as a CEO of multiple companies. No, I mean, it makes sense. They say a lot uh, that you get a lot of people who have ADHD who become entrepreneurs because as a CEO, the details are important, but you can't get bogged down in the details, right? You got to think about big picture, big vision. You can't get stuck on, oh, the, the font on the website is the wrong font. At the end of the day, it's like, that's not going to be the reason why your company succeeds or not. One of the things I say in my books is the CEO is the most important and the least important person in the organization. Yeah. A good entrepreneur CEO can't sit through long meetings. Eyes glaze over if you give them too much detail. They think yeah. in bullet points. They, they operate at 30,000 feet. And you know they, they can't function without a team. With a team, they're unstoppable. Without one, they're, they're not very good. No, I think that's true. There's so many, you need people to cover the gaps and kind of work together, right? And same thing, no one steers the ship by themselves, right? You have a whole crew, you have a whole thing, and each part is 
important, right? Because yes, you can have a great captain, but you don't have a good crew. It doesn't matter. You can have a great crew, but not a great captain. You run into issues. So how was it going through high school with ADHD? I came from a very rough background on top of that. So um, abusive home life growing up. I was a very angry kid, had an attitude problem, didn't like authority, chip on my shoulder, didn't really have friends, didn't date in high school. My elementary, junior, and, and high school years were rough. Um, yeah. I got out, I was kicked out of the house, had no place to go, so I joined the military, which is funny for a kid who didn't like to be told what to do and had an attitude problem. So how was the military? Because that's Probably always the best like a... thing I ever did, honestly, because it got my head on a little bit straight, uh, gave me a little bit of discipline that I lacked, and then you know set me on my way. So it was good for me. So what'd you want to become in high school? A musician. I was. I went to the last two year, the last year of high school. I went to a school for the performing arts. I was a trumpet player. I wanted to be a musician. That's what I wanted to do. Unfortunately, musicians, much like athletes, are either special. They're either good or they're special. Yeah. There's a lot of really good athletes that never make it to pros. There's a lot of all American collegiate quarterbacks that you know can't throw a pass to save their life in the pros. There's a lot of amazing musicians that don't have that special quality. Yeah, yeah. That, that never make the big time. I went to a school for the performing arts and nobody I went to school with ever really made the big time. I figured out about halfway through that year that there were people in the school when I was 17 and 18 years old that were so much better than me. They were so special. They were so amazing. And I was just good. And good's not good enough in you know, the performing arts or the music uh, profession. You got to really, really, really be good. Yeah. And what a lot of people don't understand, I think, what's what's that show? The Voice, uh, right? And phenomenal singers. And then, you know, so I'd ask, can anybody name someone famous off The Voice? It's probably like only like a handful of people and they're all very talented. So there's so many factors that play into, especially when you go into, and, you know, you mentioned like the college quarterback. They don't realize that you can be the, think about like the best person you've ever seen play basketball or football in your life. And that person may be lucky enough to sit on the bench, right? That's, it's just a different league and it's very low. So once you sort of realize that you, you know, you're, you're a good musician, that that's not where you're going to become. What route did you go? I was lost. Uh, the story is in my senior year of high school, I was skipping class one day. I wasn't allowed to skip school. So I just skipped yeah. class. Okay. I'm literally sitting on the staircase in the high school hallway in my, Guidance counselor came along and asked me what I was doing. I said I was skipping class. And she said, Brian, you can't do that. I have to turn you in. So instead, you're going to come listen to this Air Force recruiter, and I'll give you a pass to skip class today. Okay. I did, and somehow he suckered me into joining the Air Force. And so that's how I ended up in the military. Now, how quick did it take you to adjust to the military? Because obviously, it's a big adjustment. You went from an unstructured area, and then you actually gained some discipline. So how long did it take you to gain that discipline? I, I mean, I think it's a gradual process. I mean, I my first day in the military, I thought I made a horrendous mistake. Like, this was a terrible thing I've done to myself. But then, you know, you gradually change over time. And, um, you know, there's no end to discipline. That's something you're going to learn to do your whole life. So it was the beginning of my journey. We'll put it that way. What other skills did you really learn from the military? I mean, discipline for me was, was the big thing. I, I had nowhere to go. I had nothing to do. The, the military gave me food to eat and a place to stay and clothes on my back and a purpose. And I had to learn things. And, um, you know, that, that, that really is what got me back on track. I don't know where I would be if I hadn't done that. Yeah. How long did you stay in the military? 
I was only active for a year and then I went into the National Guard and I was there four years in the Air Force and four years in the Army. My last four years, I was uh, right seat in an OV-1 Mohawk, which is a surveillance aircraft for the Army. So now when you left the military, what was the plan? So I got married at 21. I didn't have a car. I didn't have a place to live. I didn't have a job. I like to say I was out of work, homeless with no transportation, and I got married. So me and my new wife moved in with my grandma, living in her back bedroom, and I needed to find something to do to make money. And so I took a job as a laborer on a lawn maintenance crew. So I was out cutting grass at 21, making $4 an hour. And so this is the genesis of my business career. So I'm working for these guys for about two weeks. And I remember there's this notepad we had in our truck. And every time we would mow a lawn, they'd write down the name, how much money, and the fact that they collected it. I picked up the notebook one day and I looked at it and I realized that we were collecting about $2,000 a week. I was making 160. Matt was making 240. Steve was making 400, throwing some gas money. And we had about $1,000 of profit. The guy that owned the crew was sitting at home watching TV while he had four crews out working. Yeah. So he's sitting home making 4000 a week and I'm making $160 doing all the work. And every day we'd drive over to his house, hand him all these checks, and we'd go put the equipment away and the next morning we'd do it again. I'll never forget him opening the door, grabbing the pile of checks and going, you know, closing the door. And I thought, one of us is stupid. And I know which one it is. Because I'm out here killing myself and he's sitting home watching TV making all this money. So I thought, I mean, how hard is it to mow grass? I can start a lawn maintenance business. So I quit my job, took a little money we got from the wedding, bought a weed eater, a mower, and a blower, borrowed a truck from my grandfather, and, and that was when I started my first business. Ten years later, we had seven franchises. We were doing through we the top five landscaping company in the city of Atlanta. We were huge. Wow. So how was it the first few months? Well, I can remember, honestly, me and my wife at the time, we took a piece of paper and wrote cheap landscaping. We live local, call us. And we started sticking people's mailboxes. And that's how we got going. And I remember the first day I made a hundred bucks. I thought I made a hundred dollars today. That's incredible. I remember the first time I made $500 in a week. And I thought, oh my God, I made $500 this week. But I didn't really know what I was doing. So I had a customer call me and ask me to do an actual landscaping job, and I didn't know how to do it. I'd never planted a bush in my life. So I had to hire my buddy to come out and show me how to dig holes and where to buy bushes and stick them in the ground. And so we did that. Uh, and that's how I got started doing the actual landscape installation. Then we started designing people's landscaping. And I, I can tell you, there are probably 200 homes in the Atlanta area that have the exact same landscape because I only knew how to do one package. <laughs> same trees, same bushes, same everything. And I would just go around going, what do you think of this idea? And they go, that looks really good. I'm like, yeah, I've done it a hundred times. No, I mean, look, it, it works and it's good and they liked it. So that's that's all Just that matters. Just go do it. Okay, so cool. You made the 500 bucks in a week. You kind of got up. What was like your big like milestone in that? Like the first big milestone in that business? Well, so the interesting thing is I did that for about a year and then I, I quit. I was in Ohio at the time. I moved back to Georgia. I took a job working for a construction company. Actually, I, as a laborer. And then I got fired. And then I tried to get a job as a waiter and I got fired. I got a job at Little Caesars Pizza. I got fired. And then Why I got a job as, fired. I was a terrible employee. Oh, uh, okay. I got a job as a wait as a bus boy at Applebee's and I kept that job for about a year. But then I got a job working for this construction company. 
And I remember I was doing all the payroll for this construction company, which we had to do on a Monday night. And I remember one Monday night, I was sitting in the basement of a house doing payroll for all these contractors. And I was writing a check to the landscaper, believe it or not, for $14,000 for that week. And my wife was there at the time. And I remember looking over and I said, it's like one in the morning. I'm in a freezing cold basement writing a check for $14,000 to a guy who's home in bed, warm, sleeping. One of us is stupid. That was my second one of us is stupid moment. And so I quit my job and I went back into the landscaping business. Um, and that's when we built it up to a, a larger company. And then eventually, interestingly enough, that company collapsed for a number of reasons. And I got into the insurance business. And that was the first business I ended up selling to a venture capital firm. Okay. So how'd you get into insurance? Why'd you choose insurance? So after the company had actually collapsed, we went from seven franchises, millions and millions of dollars in revenue. A couple things happened. I ended up losing everything. So I'm 29 years old. Lost everything. Three homes, cars, because I was way too much debt. I didn't understand how to take care of myself financially at the time. Um, and so I went back to being just me and one guy doing landscaping. And my buddy who was selling insurance came over and he said, hey, you should sell insurance. And I said, no, I'm not going to do that. That's crazy. So he kept every month, he'd come back and he kept showing me these checks that were bigger and bigger and bigger. And finally, in June of 96, he shows me this check and I said, okay, fine. How do I sell insurance? What do I do? So he takes me out on one appointment and says, okay, you know how to do it now. Go sell insurance. We we're selling health insurance at the time. So I said, okay, I didn't know any better. So I started, I bought leads and we went out and started seeing customers and selling insurance. And within about six weeks, I was making more money selling insurance at night than I was landscaping all day long. And so literally I went out on a Saturday. I had three bids to do. I showed up at the first one and I'm standing there looking at this guy thinking, I hate landscaping. I don't want to be here. So I literally folded my book up, got my truck and just left him standing there. I called my wife. I said, I quit. I'm never doing this again. I'm going to sell insurance full time. So I started selling insurance full time. A year and a half later, it was a dot com boom. And I sold the company for a million dollars to a venture capital firm here in Atlanta. Nice. That was a good time to get out. Yeah. Crazy steps. Now you sold the company. What happened next? Sold that company, um, took about a year off, and then went back and did another company, another insurance company. Then I started an internet company doing lead generation online with a, a partner. In 2006, we sold the lead gen company to a private equity firm for $50 million. And in 2008, I sold the insurance company again for $7 million. And I tried to retire. I couldn't because my brain never stops working. So I started consulting. So I consulted for anywhere from small business all the way up to Fortune 500 in sales and management. And then along the way, I bought a restaurant, which turned into two, which turned into six, which turned into eight. I ran for city council this year. I just got elected to the local city council here. In oh, congrats. So it's, it's been a journey. Okay, now that is one heck of a journey. So what type of restaurant is it? Uh, we have uh, sports bars anywhere from uh, mid-level up to upscale. Okay, so what, if I go to your restaurant, what do I order? Well, it depends on what you like. My favorite is the jerk salmon sandwich and fries. Okay, so when I'm in Atlanta, that's... <laughs> I mean, look, I like salmon, so I like jerk salmon, so that's what I'll, I'll, I'll try. So you obviously did a lot. You have a lot of experience. Now, what would you say? What are the things you did to get ahead? Like, what would you say? What are your core strengths? This gets into a lot of what's in the book. So I will tell you, and you'll hear this a lot, 
you, a lot of times you'll hear people say, you have to fail to succeed. I'm sure you've heard that. The problem with that statement is it's not enough to fail and succeed. You have to fail and then you have to learn. Because if you don't learn from the failure, you're never going to take that learning to the next step to get to the eventual success. Too many people think that fail, 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 fail is what you need to do. And that's not. Fail, 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 fail just means you're learning more how to fail. You got to fail, learn, fail, learn, fail, learn, and then succeed. And that's a critical step. One of the things I've always been good at, in, in my opinion, is learning from my failures. One of the things I see from people that fail in business is they don't learn from their failures. and continues to make the same mistakes over and over. So that's really been the secret of my success is fail, learn, fail, learn. No, I mean, that's phenomenal advice. I've seen it happen again, where it's like people fail and they make the same mistakes. So they continue to fail. And it's like, you have to adjust, you have to pivot, you have to do something different. You have to understand why you fail and make sure, hey, I'm not, if I'm going to fail again, it's not going to be for this specific reason. And that's why it's like, you can fail the three to five times. You just have to fail differently. But the sixth time, you're not making any one of those mistakes that you did before. Here's now, how you, here's how you know somebody's going to fail again. They fail and they say it's because somebody else, some business, some environment, some government, some bad break, this, that, it's always an excuse as to why you failed because what you're failing at is failing to learn that it was you that failed. You need to fix you. Yeah, and it's always like, hey, here's what I should have, even if it is, okay, this happened. It's like, hey, I should have had a contingency plan in place. I should have been more prepared. I should have diversified. I should have, right? Because I've seen it happen where it's like, you have like a few big clients, one of the clients leaves and you can't support the business. Now it's like, okay, you got to diversify. Now, instead of having three big, you may need six small clients in addition to that. And then that way, if that client leaves, you're not going to fail. Now, what would you say? What are the mistakes you've made along the way? Uh, well, my first company failed because I didn't understand finance. I was too deep in debt. I thought the money would never go back, you know, never go away. Uh, we were living paycheck to paycheck, even though we were living a very nice lifestyle. Um, and so... What I learned from that is what we call the McDonald's safety net. It's one of my phrases in the book, right? Okay. And what that means is you create a lifestyle and then you create either the income or reduce the debt load down to the point that if your business falls apart, you could work at McDonald's and maintain your lifestyle. I like that. When my first business failed, I had no money in savings. I had to sell everything I've got and I lost everything I had because McDonald's wasn't going to support everything I was thinking I was doing. It's being, you know, in debt rich, which is a terrible thing, by the way. So finance is number one. How do you bounce back? Like mentally, emotionally, physically, like how did you bounce back after losing everything? You have no choice. I had a wife and a child. So you're either going to fold up or you're going to man up. One of the two. Now, how has the industry changed over time, right? Because you, dot-com bubble was a very different scenario. Right. You also had the housing crisis. You went through that. And now technology is just different, right? Like lead generation has changed, right? The methods have changed. So how has the industry changed during your time? Like what are some things that used to work before that just don't seem to work anymore? And what are some new things that you've kind of seen happen? Well, I mean, everything changes in every business that you're in. You either need to adapt, improvise, or you're going to die, right? I'll give you an easy example. When we were doing lead gen, we were pre-canned spam. And we were dropping 200 million emails a day. Wow. It was insane. Today, you drop 200 emails and you'll be blacklisted for the rest of your life. You know, so you go from doing that to 
getting what we call bulletproof servers when that got tougher. Then you had to start doing the opt-in and you had to do double opt-in. And it's learning. You just keep learning and taking the next evolution. You know, I always like to say that success is a progression of decisions that you make along the way that lead you to an eventual uh, ending that you never knew was going to be there when you started. So, for instance, when I got in the insurance business and I was selling, you know, face to face, I never imagined that five years from now everything would be done online. That just was. It, it, who yeah, no, no. I started a little call center. We started doing faxes. We went from faxes to filling out a little form online and from filling out a form online to processing online, processing online to the carrier processing online. And pretty soon there's no human interaction. But we didn't know that when we were back doing it, knocking on people's doors and saying, hey, I'm here to sell you something. Now the whole process is online. It's a series or progression of steps. And, and that is everything that you do. Everything, every every success is a progression of steps. So that applies to every industry. And it's so important. That's one of the reasons you're successful because a lot of people, they, right? We can't conceive how the future, we can predict, we can do that, but it's going to be different. It's going to come at a different pace. All we can do is adapt. And it's like the people who don't adapt, they get left behind because there's some people who are still stuck on, hey, I'm so used to doing things this way. The new kids are doing this way. But the fact is, it's like eventually those new kids take over. Or well, new you, you think people. back in the early 1900s, who was the last company making buggy whips? Before the car took over. Think about today. Who's the last company that's going to be printing newspapers and throwing them in your driveway? They will be gone. And this is every industry. Which is the last car company that's going to have gas internal combustion engines? Electric's taken over. So every industry is moving forward or it will eventually die. Yeah. And the fact is, you just have to move forward. So now looking back at your career, what would you say is your biggest accomplishment? I would say the personal growth I've achieved through everything that I've done that's led me to where I am today. I mean, who knew a kid that got kicked out of high school would be running a city of, you know, 67,000 people or, you know, running off to Silicon Valley and, you know, sitting in boardroom with billionaires. I mean, that's just as unthinkable. As I like to say, when I was young, I was too stupid to know I was going to fail and I didn't have anything. So I had nothing to lose. So I just did it. On the other note, what was the hardest period of your life that you went through? Um, when that first business failed and I didn't know what I was going to do next, and I had to go from seven offices and all these employees and millions of dollars in revenue back to me and a truck and a shovel with a new baby, that was a tough time. And I didn't know what I was going to do. But I just went out day to day because yeah, you got to feed the kid. So that's what I did. and then. Uh, you know what luck is, right? Luck is when preparation and opportunity meet. You got to be prepared. And then when the opportunity comes along, you can take advantage of it. I think a lot of the things I had done had prepared me um, for the opportunity that I got when the insurance thing came along. Uh, but I will also say that every failure I've ever had in my life led to something bigger and greater that I would not have had had I not failed. If the insurance company or if the landscaping company hadn't failed, I might still be doing it today. And I hated doing that. And then when the insurance company rolled around and it did good and I sold it, and then after I sold it, the company that bought it kicked me out because they said I wasn't smart enough to run my own company anymore. I'm like, okay, what am I going to do next? And so you look at every failure as you go back in your life and you say, oh my gosh, that failure actually led to something better. One of the things that teaches you, and if you can impart something to somebody that's you know, 18, 19, 20, 21, 22 years old is don't get so concerned about the failures today because you have no idea what opportunity that's going to lead you to. And when you get to my age and I'm 56 years old and I look back, I can map it out and tell you every failure led to something better. 
and I wouldn't be where I was today. I was going to do a deal with a company and the guy who was the CEO of the company, we, we struck the deal. We hugged it out, man. We were going to sign the paperwork the next day. And I came in the next day and he got fired. And I, I had just sold my company and then the deal's off the table. And I'm like, oh my gosh, I can't believe it. I mean, that, that's a terrible thing. He disappears. A year later, he calls me up and he says, hey, Brian, I'm back. I want to do a deal with you. And I said, okay, Steve, let's do a deal. We started a deal in 2003 and 2006 sold it for $50 million. Wow. So what would have happened if I'd have done the deal before he got kicked out? I'd have sold my company for nothing instead of doing this deal and making all this money. But you don't see that when it happens. Let the bad thing happen. Don't get too excited about it. Move on. Just understand that something good is coming. That's an amazing perspective. And I think we get so caught up in our own lives and the day-to-day that sometimes it's just so hard to conceive the future. So that's an amazing attitude. So when did you start writing your first book and what was your motivation for it? I had... Um, my two kids went to private school and the private school would give these kids three or four hours of homework a night. It was crazy. And my daughter would stay up till midnight or one o'clock in the morning doing homework. And I would come, I'd get up out of bed at midnight or one o'clock in the morning. I'd walk in the kitchen and she'd be laying there in the kitchen floor doing homework, laying on the kitchen floor with a candle. Say, honey, what are you doing? I'm doing homework. Why do you have a candle? Because it smells good. Crazy answer, right? And I said, you need to go to bed. And we would have these arguments about she doesn't need to be up at one in the morning. And she would always tell me, you're not supporting me. You're not supporting my educational goals. I have to get good grades to get into a good college, to get a good job. That's what I have to do. And one night we're having this argument. And I said, honey, good grades are not that important. And she said, yes, they are. You're you're, you're not supporting me. And I said, and by the way, we're living in a house that all her friends and teachers called the mansion. You know, I've got an airplane, a boat, a lake house, and a beach house. I made all this money, super successful, right? I said, honey, if grades are so important, then how do you explain me? And she looked at me and she says, daddy, we actually talked about you in school last week. And I said, oh yeah, what'd you guys talk about? And she said, we decided that you give the dumb kids hope. And I said, well, that's the title of my first book. And it was. Started writing that book when I was 50, that was six years ago. And the premise of the book is that, you know, how does a kid who barely got out of high school can only keep a job as a busboy end up founding companies that were worth hundreds of millions of dollars? How does that happen? And so it's a story and life lessons and business lessons that, you know, from all the way back to the beginning and all the way forward. And that's where that book came from. And as soon as I finished that one, I thought, I want to write another one. So I wrote the second book, which is The Dropout Multimillionaire. And it was basically for people who are starting a business have a business that's not working out the way they wanted, have a business they're trying to figure out how to scale, or have a business they want to sell. And it's all the things you need to know on how to be a business owner uh, to get you where you want to go in whatever it is you're doing. So those are the two books. And I've got one more coming up. Um, it's going to be called No. Just No. Oh, that's a good title. Because that's the most powerful word in the English language. It is. And it's sometimes underutilized mm-hmm. by a lot of people. It's massively underutilized. It's the greatest negotiating word. It's just a powerful thing. Just know. So how does someone with ADHD write a book? Like what's the process? How do you get yourself to write a book? Is it like you have to set a certain environment? What worked for you? Well, I've learned that I can't write books here at home. Too many distractions, too much going on. So I have to go someplace else. I did half a book in Key West, sitting in a hotel room overlooking the, the boardwalk. Uh, I did another half of one of the books sitting in Park City when I was out there skiing for a month. 
Uh, I went out to uh, the British Virgin Islands and sat in a house overlooking the bay. Uh, or I go down to my place at the beach and sit down there. But I've got to be away. That's the first thing. The second thing is if you're going to write a book, you have to understand that thinking about writing a book is too big. It's overwhelming. And so the way I've done it is I will, like my second book, I sat at dinner and in about 30 minutes, I just jotted down about 100 different ideas into my phone in the notes section. Then I went back and I took all those ideas and I put them in what I thought was chronological order. Once they're in chronological order, I would take each idea and I would write about two paragraphs. And then I would take the paragraphs and I'd put them together. And then once you put them together, you start working on the flow issue and pretty soon you're done with the book. Wow. So I like it. Think I like of it as process. ideas, you know, a couple of paragraphs per idea, and eventually you've got a book that you didn't wow. know you could do when you started. Wow, that that's crazy. Did you now looking back, right? What would you tell yourself in high school? You may think the world sucks today, but when, as, I, as I started this podcast, where you are today, where you've been, what's happened to you, no matter how bad it is, it has very little bearing on your future. You have the opportunity to go do whatever you want. I always, the example I like to use is, you know, if you bought a lottery ticket tonight and it hit the Powerball and you had a hundred million dollars, but you didn't know. In fact, you forgot about that ticket for like three months. You realize that You've been struggling for three months. You're, you're, you're having problems in your life. Your job's not going good. Your business, but all along, you don't realize that you've got a hundred million dollar lottery ticket in your pocket and you haven't looked at it and haven't cashed it. And that's kind of the way my life has gone. That's what I would tell myself at 18. You have a lottery ticket in your pocket. You just don't know it. Yet. And one day you're going to cash it. So relax. As long as you're doing what you think you need to do, you're being the best person you can be and you're learning in every failure. Eventually, you're going to pull that lottery ticket out. And it's going to be there. Yeah. And everybody has a different lottery ticket, different amount, different thing. And it's a different time that you can cash it out. But success means come. something different to everybody. Let's say you're 18, right? With the knowledge you have now, what are you going to, what would you kind of do? Like, how would you do it over? It's, it's 2021. One thing I would do is I would have found somebody at a younger age to mentor me because I didn't do that until I was 40. Yeah. You know, I've only discovered mentorship like 27, 28. And it's one of those things you don't really think of, right? And it sort of organically happens. And it's something that has saved me years of learning, a lot of money too, right? Because, you know, mentors, a lot of times you get good ones and their advice is worth a lot too. So I would encourage everyone, get a mentor and get several if you can. So there's two things here that you need to think about. One is the reason mentorship doesn't work is because of your ego. If your ego won't allow you to take advice from somebody who is more successful than you, then you're doomed. And if you think you're so smart that you don't need one, I will give you this example. You know who Tim Cook is? CEO of Apple, yeah. which will be $3 trillion company this year. Biggest wow. company on planet Earth, most uh, profitable company in the world. And do you know he's the CEO, right? Yeah. I'm sure you know that Apple Computer also has a board of directors. And do you know what the board of directors does? The board of directors is hired to help Tim Cook make decisions. The guy who's the CEO of a $3 trillion company has a board of directors that comes in every month and says, based on what we know, based on our experience, based on our background, based on things we've done in the past, here's what we think you should do and the direction you should go in order to continue being successful the way you are today. So 
Tim Cook has an entire board of directors to help him run the most profitable company in the world. And here are all these small young entrepreneurs who think, I don't need a mentor. Tim Cook needs one. So unless you're smarter than him, you might want to get one. Yeah, no, I mean, it's so true. I, I've seen it happen all the time. And the fact is, like, you could be very smart. You're always going to have a knowledge gap. You're always going to have a weakness. And you're you're never going to have a different perspective. You're always stuck in your own perspective. And it's always good to have someone who step, you know, is sort of neutral, third party, who can say, hey, you know what? Tiger Woods had a swing coach his whole career. You know, Tom Brady? Tom Brady has a passing coach. Yeah. These are people that are the top of their game, and yet they've got people that help them. And too many people that are in business don't do that, and it's part of their failure. So what made you get a mentor at 40 years old? Like, what made you like realize, like, hey, I need a mentor? I didn't really know that. Again, back to your progression of steps, I had taken this partner on, Steve, who had been very successful in the past. And he was back there. So the quick story is he's back there running this company we started, and it's losing money. It's losing money. It's losing money. It's losing money. And about a year in, um, my CPA had come to see me, and he said, Brian, you need to shut down Steve's company. Because I was a partner, and we were funding it. And I said, Steve's way more successful than me. Why would I shut him down? And he said, because that company is going to bleed you dry, and it's not going to work. You need to shut it down. Well, the next morning, Steve comes into my office, and he says, hey, we need to invest another $70,000 in more servers. And he's sitting across from me from my desk. And I looked at him. I said, Steve, we've already gone through a half a million dollars. I mean, we haven't made a single dime. I mean, why would we invest another $70,000 in this? This makes no sense. I don't know if I can, I can do that. And he said, Brian, let me tell you something. I'm going to make you a deal. I'll give you your equity back. You give me mine. We'll walk away as friends. No harm, no foul. But I need to know right now. I remember sitting there looking at him. And you got that ping pong ball in your head bouncing back and forth. Yes, no, yes, no, yes, no. And I thought to myself, you know what? This is a guy who's made millions and millions of dollars. And I'm just this broke guy sitting on the other side of the desk wanting what he has. Maybe my decision making isn't the best thing. And I, so I looked at him. I said, all right, Steve, I'm in. And he said, all right. I don't ever want to hear that again. And he got up and walked out of my office. We sold that company 18 months later for $50 million. And I was within two words of getting zero because I made a decision to stop trusting me and stop start trusting a guy who'd been there and done it before. And I'll never forget that lesson. In fact, I tattooed I'm in on my shoulder. I'm in. That changed my whole life. I wouldn't have what I have. I wouldn't have the opportunities I have. I wouldn't have met the people I have. Nothing in my life would be the same until I decided to listen to somebody else who'd been more successful and stop listening to myself. What'd your accountant say after when we fired him? Okay. <laughs> Good. Smart move. Smart move. <laughs> yeah. That, that decision changed my life. Listen to somebody else more successful than you. So now, what would you say that as you got more success, what were some things that you kind of saw that your ADHD kind you had to like still figure out, right? Because they're different ways to sort of deal with it? What are some things that you really learned along the way? So you learned that to write a book and to be focused, you sort of need to get away. You can't be at home because your brain's going to go a mile away. What are some other things you learned along the way that really helped you focus, really helped you just deal with it? So one of the things that I've learned and I also have put in the books is that you need to bring people in around you that 
fill in the gaps of where you're weak, right? One of the things I know about myself is I'm terrible at details. I don't want to read the manual. I don't want to figure out how to do payroll. I don't want to learn how to do anything, really. Like As an example, I own restaurants, but I don't know how to cook. I don't know how to make a drink. I don't know what the table numbers are. I don't know how to put orders in the system. I literally know nothing about how to run a restaurant. But what I know how to do is run a P&L, profit and loss statement. I know how to understand the financials. So I hire people to do the things that I'm not good at. And if you are willing to bring other people into your business that understand how to do the things better than you and let them do their job, then you will succeed at a much faster rate. You can't be everything to everybody all the time and succeed at a high level. Yeah, you need you your partners or employees that are good at what they do that can do those things for you. Yeah. Was there ever a time the lack of a college degree held you back? First company I sold, I told you this story. They bought me. I move into their office, me and my team, and I get there the first day and they're like, that's your little cubicle over there. I'm like, what? I had a big office in the corner with a bar and a TV and now I'm in a two by two cubicle. Really? He said, yeah, you know, we appreciate what you've done, but you um, aren't really qualified to run your company anymore because you don't have a degree. And I was like, oh, okay. Skip forward. We start another company, software company. Start the company. Within this company, I launched this division. We go out and we sell $6 million worth of software within about six weeks. I come back. The company says, oh my God, you guys have done really well starting this new division from scratch. We're going to bring in somebody who really knows how to sell software because honestly, you don't have a degree and we can't really let you go out and sell software to these companies anymore. So we want you to go back to just, you know, back to your cubicle and do what you're going to do. Okay. I sell my third company. It's an insurance company. I sell it to a venture capital company in, in Silicon Valley. I fly it to Silicon Valley. I meet these billionaire investors and they said, we really appreciate everything you've done, but we can't really put you on the website because everybody on the website has an MBA. So we really need you to stay in Atlanta and just you know do your little thing over there, but we can't really tell anybody who you are. This has been a story of my life. And yes, it held me back, but not, a much, not so much that it stopped me. It just slowed me down. Now, have you seen in recent years that it's less of a thing? Because I know now it's like in software sales, they're like, can you sell? Do you know the software? Well, God bless Elon Musk, who needs an education, who needs a high school education. If you're good at what you're doing, he'll interview you and hire you for his company. Yeah, I think you're getting more and more into that. Uh, you have to remember back in the dot-com days, it was very, it was very young MBA oriented and they were trying to present all this flash nonsense and most of them, you know, lost their rear ends but that's a different story yeah yeah no i mean it's, it's a different time and i'm glad things are changing and but you know there's still a lot of change to be made because you know who i'm pretty sure the companies would have done even better had they had you in the front-facing role well i went out and started another company every time and did it again that's the beauty of starting your own company right you you make the rules you make the requirements and you know it's all about the work you put in the uh, relationships you make now what was another skill that you sort of use, right? So you didn't have the degree. Would you say like you built very good relationships? You you were good at sales? What, were, what, what got you ahead? You know, a lot of what you do and a lot of the success you're going to have, and I, I tell my kids this and I've experienced it over and over, and it's really about who you know and the relationship that you build. Networking is one of the most important things that you can do. Um, I saw this thing on 
I don't know, one of these real things, I forget what it's called. And some guy who's super successful and he was talking to a group and he said, you know, you go to college and he said, you know, you see these guys who are big time college athletes and they come into class and they sit there with their hoodies on and they don't talk to anybody because they think they're super cool. He goes, those guys are going to have the most miserable life they've ever thought of because none of them are going to make it in the pros. They didn't learn anything in college. And quite frankly, they didn't network with anybody. And what they find out six years later is that the guy that was sitting beside him is the CEO of a new startup and he's looking for people, but you don't know him. He said, if you go to college, one of the most important things you need to do is network because those people are going to be the leaders of the future. I tell my kids this all the time. Who do you know? Who can you network with? Who can you make friends with? Because that's going to be the source of your future. Network, network, network. Now, let's kind of take it back. How could the education system be improved for someone like you so that you would have had a better supportive environment? You would have been able to just learn more in school so that, you know, you wouldn't skip because, you know, couldn't pay attention. I don't know that anything could have helped me. It was, it was a combination of my ADHD and my upbringing. You know, I was just an angry kid. Uh, I was an angry kid with no future. It was, as I like to say, dumb enough to go out and do something that I was probably going to fail at because I didn't know any better. Honestly, I don't know how to answer that question. I don't no, know. I mean, look, it's not an easy question to answer because it's, you know, a lot of solutions like that, There, it's not easy, right? Because there's so many, like you said, there's so many moving parts that you can solve one part. I think the important part. thing is whoever is, thinks that they're not learning in school or didn't learn in school or didn't learn what they needed to learn in school literally has no bearing on your future. You can still go do anything you want as long as you're willing to put the time, effort in and work for it. Yeah, I think, one thing is even removing the stigma attached to people who don't do well in school is a big thing because, you know, hope is pretty powerful, right? If you know, hey, look, it's not always going to be like this. Things will get better. This is not my environment, but there are other environments where I will succeed, where I will, you know, aka get good grades and all that. I think that is also comforting for a lot of people because I'm pretty sure if you knew, hey, I'm going to be super successful, you would have been less angry. You would have been like, okay. If I knew I had that lottery ticket in my pocket, I don't know. Things would have been different. So what, looking back at your career, right? You've done a lot. What are your future goals? Like, what, what do you think about the future? Well, I'm going to, I got to finish my stint in politics. I'll probably sell this company in four or five years. One of the things that I think I'm excited about doing in the future, and it revolves around the last book I wrote and the next one I'm writing, um, is helping young entrepreneurs. I, I get, I get really jazzed about doing that. You can find somebody that's, interested and willing to take advice from somebody who can help them and then watch them succeed. Um, I think that's super cool. One of the things I've thought about doing is starting a seed round accelerator, almost a combination of uh, Shark Tank and uh, you know a venture capital accelerator company where people come in and pitch their ideas. We'll give them money, help them get started, you know, bring them the advice and help that they need and see if we can help them, you know, really build something. So that's probably the next area I'll go into. So what motivated you to go for city council? Well, I had sold my company about 10 years ago. And I was out in Park City. I was skiing for a month. I got a friend that lives out there who's super successful. He was kind of one of my mentors. And we're sitting at lunch one day and, and he said, well, Brian, what are you going to do next? And I said, I have no idea. Maybe I'll start another company. And he said, why? And I said, I don't know. I don't know what else to do. I've I've been dark to dark seven days a week for 20 years. I mean, I, that's all I know. And he said, let me ask you something. He said, what are you passionate about? 
And what are you willing to give back? And I said, I got to be honest, I've never thought along those terms. It doesn't, I have no clue. He said, you need to go find something you're passionate about and something you're willing to give back before you're ever going to be truly happy. You've achieved financial success. You've done a lot of cool things. What are you going to do to give back? And it took me about five years. And I, I think I came to the realization that two things interested me. And one was writing, hence the two books I've written. Um, and I'm very passionate about that and helping people and along those lines. And two is I've always been interested in politics, but honestly not interested in politics at the national level, because quite frankly, I don't need anybody pulling up my high school yearbook and trashing my family and smearing my name, you know, for something I did 40 years ago. So don't want to go down that route. And I had met some of the friends I have here in our city and they were like, well, why don't you run for city council? You know, city council is the only level of politics that you can get involved in. You can talk to your neighbors and friends, local business owners. You can identify a problem, get it on council within two weeks, vote on it the week after that. You can make a change in your community almost immediately. You can't do that at any other level of politics. Yeah. You can make a difference. You can make a change. You can make things better. And I started researching it and decided that that's what I wanted to do. So I ran and I won. Wow, nice. So there you go. No, I mean, that's amazing. Local politics is very important. A lot of people, you know, they focus on the high level stuff, but it's really, you know, focus on the local things in your neighborhood. And we can you know, fix start our community and the community next to us can fix theirs and the one on the other side can fix theirs. And, you know, we'll just live in our little, I call it the alpha bubble. We'll live in our little bubble here and let the national guys run around and do whatever they want to do. Yeah, no, I'll, I love that perspective. Um, as we wrap up, is there something you want to share that we haven't really talked about? Here's the thing. This, this is what I'll leave you with. And this is chapter one in my second book. And this is what I call your personal filter. And this is what you need to understand because it's going to affect everything you do in life, right? And so the premise behind this is that you have a subconscious filter that's operating behind the scenes that you don't even know is operating. And it is making decisions for you every minute of every day, all the time, while you're awake and while you're asleep, okay? And this filter either accepts or rejects information based on everything that's gone into that filter before. And that exception or rejection either shapes your future for the positive or for the negative, right? And the example I always use is, as an example, if you were born in another country, let's say you're born in France, you would speak French, not English. Your view of the world would be French. Your view of politics would be French. Everything about you is shaped by your parents. And the things they taught you, your kindergarten teacher, your elementary teachers, the things they put in your head, your friends and peer pressure shape that. If you go to college, your professors are going to shape that. Everything that goes in your head, every TV program you've ever watched, every book you've ever read, every podcast you've ever listened to, every bit of information that's gone into your head has been accepted or rejected. And then the next piece of information is accepted or rejected based on everything that's already in there. And so everybody has this filter. And you can either have a success filter or a failure filter. And if you have a success filter, I'll give you an example. You know people that seem to win at everything they do. You're just like, oh my God, that guy, everything he touches, he wins. You know people that seem to lose at everything they do. It's because of their filter. It's because behind the scenes, they have a filter that is accepting or rejecting information and making decisions that lead them down the path of success or the path of failure. Everything. Number one, you got to be careful what you allow in your brain. Because it's being accepted or rejected and it's making decisions. Now, if you want to go into business and you've never been successful at business, guess what? Your filter has no idea what to do. It has no idea what ideas to accept or reject. 
people are listening to this right now and some people are going, this guy's full of crap. I reject what he's telling me. And some people are thinking, that's right. That's right. I need to listen to this, right? And if you haven't succeeded at whatever it is you want to do in life, it's because you don't have the proper filters to succeed. You have got to get rid of your ego. You've got to bring somebody in that can help you that's been there and done that. And you've got to accept what they're trying to teach you. If you will do that, you will create a success filter. If you won't, you'll be the guy you know or the girl you know who can't make a good decision to save their life. And they will become a failure magnet and it will be everybody else's fault. And things will never go their way. So be careful of what you let in your brain because it's affecting your future. And that's what I want to leave you with. Uh, I think that's very powerful and it it shows how much power we have if we put ourselves in the right environment and, you know, have the right filters, you know, set, set ourselves up for success. Somebody asked me in another podcast, they said, well, how do you create this perfect success filter? And, and my answer was, you don't. You have to monitor yourself every day. And the example I always use is, I mean, I wrote a book about the success filter. And yet when I wrote the book, I designed a cover and I sent it off to the publicist and she came back and she said it sucked. And I argued with her and I said, what do you mean? I love this cover. It's awesome. I want to stick with it. And she said, no, it sucks. And I argued with her for about an hour. And then I thought to myself, what am I doing? This is what she does for a living. I'm a landscaper who did insurance and now own a restaurant. I know nothing about publicizing books. And so I said, okay, check my ego. She's, she knows what she's doing. I let her do the cover and it became a Wall Street Journal number five bestseller, right? So no matter how good you think you are, you still need to check that, that filter because you're still potentially making the wrong decisions. No, thank you. I mean, it's something that I'll be more conscious of and be more mindful of. So how would someone support you? How would someone follow you, connect with you? Uh, we have a Facebook page for uh, our books. If you went to the Dropout MM, Dropout Multimillionaire on Facebook, we're there. The books are available on Amazon. Um, drop out multimillionaire and I give the dumb kids hope if you want to get the books. Um, so that's it. My contact information is in both of those. And if anybody has any questions and wants to, wants to ask. Okay, cool. I'll put those in the show notes. I just want to thank you so much for your time, Brian. I've absolutely loved this episode. I hope you loved it too. And I know the audience will get so much value from it. I appreciate it very much. Thank you. Another great episode. Thank you for listening. Hopefully this information is valuable and you learned a lot. Stay tuned for the next episode. This show is sponsored by you. No Degree wants to remain free from influence so that we can talk about the topics without bias. If you think the show is worth a dollar or two, please check out our Patreon page. Any amount is appreciated and we'll go towards making future episodes even better. Follow us on Instagram or Snapchat at No Degree Podcast. On Facebook at facebook.com slash no degree inc. If you want to personally reach out to me, connect or follow me on LinkedIn at Janaid Iqbal, spelled J-O-N-A-E-D, last name I-Q-B-A-L. Until next time, no degree, no problem, nodegree.com. Yeah, so, you got no degree? No problem. No problem. Any problem, we can solve them. We got this. LinkedIn insomnia. Keeps us evolving, growing and knowing. Wisdom is flowing. If you didn't know, now you know where I'm going. If you didn't know, now you know. Let's sing that again, everybody. No degree, no problem. Any problem, we can solve them. LinkedIn.
insomnia keeps us evolving We're growing in a knowing, the wisdom is flowing If you didn't know, now you know where I'm going No degree, no problem, any problem we can solve Linked insomnia keeps us evolving We're growing in the knowing, the wisdom is flowing If you didn't know, now you know where I'm going Yeah